Welcome, welcome, welcome. Session number three of the tribulation. There will be ten. And uh, I'm going to remind you that I told you at the beginning, if you'll give me three sessions, don't quit until you get through three. And I want to say even now that uh, tonight's number three. <laughs> so you're here. Thank you. But here's the thing. I hope this session tonight unlocks something that it did for me. Because when we cover tonight's uh, section, everything falls together. And, and I, I, all I can say is, um, for me, it was the key that unlocked the ears to hear what the Spirit was saying to the church. When I finished this session uh, in writing it, to me, everything else took total shape. Okay? I could see everything. I could see everything way more clear that I couldn't until this section tonight. So tonight, I'm going to say after third session, you're not going to want to leave, and I'll see you on number 10, okay? <laughs> you're not going to leave after tonight. Father, we come into your presence with thanksgiving and rejoicing, knowing that you had this plan. It was before the foundations of the earth that you drafted this plan. And we are your children, and you are faithful. So tonight, I'm going to ask you that you would open our minds to understand the Scripture, open our ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Prepare your bride for that which is coming, and uh, we're going to worship you. We're going to serve you. Tonight, we're seeking to know you and to understand you and your ways, for your plan was to reveal this so that we would know that which is coming, so that we could prepare ourselves and prepare others. So, Father, may that happen through your Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In all of these sessions, I have set up the stage with a single scripture. It's Luke chapter 21. The Olivet Discourse is Jesus' very long teaching um, on the Mount of Olives on a Wednesday before he dies on a Friday, telling them what's going to happen leading up to his second coming. Okay, that's the context of what I'm reading. So when you get down to the end of it, this is what you find. Verse 33, heaven and earth will disappear. It's, it's going to happen. It's on his schedule. Heaven and earth are going. What you know today of heaven and what you know today of earth. And when he says heaven, the atmosphere that is above us, not his throne. The atmosphere above us, what we call the heavens, when you get out and look up in the sky. And this earth, present earth, are going to disappear. He has scheduled it. But my words will never disappear. They will survive that which is coming. So, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and, don't, and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day, what day? Now, he has just spent the previous chapter talking about the second coming and the conditions of the world in that time. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. Everyone upon the earth. This is a worldwide event. This day is coming upon everybody on planet earth. For that day is coming upon everyone on the earth. Keep alert at all times. And here it comes. This is the, the standard by which we teach these 10 sessions. Pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Now, last week I told you there's two coming horrors. The first one will be the tribulation. The second one will be the coming horrors that follow the tribulation. 
the great white throne judgment when someone is cast into the lake of fire. They are thrown into hell. You talk about a coming horror, it's worse than the tribulation. But there is a way to escape. Last week we talked about Jesus' message to the seven churches in Revelation. Inside, I believe, inside those letters to the seven churches are the exact details of Jesus Christ to the church, how to escape the coming horrors. I read every one of those to you last week. Do you have ears to hear? Do you want to escape? Do you have ears to hear? I said that after every church. For session, that was last week, session two. Session one was the description is why is there a tribulation? Why does he set aside seven years? It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time after the church leaves where he's going to give seven years, seven years in which he's going to pour out his spirit on the Jewish people that he has then regathered so that they would be able to see Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah. In those seven messages, Jesus reveals the way to escape the coming horrors of both the tribulation and that which is to come to unbelievers after the tribulation, the great white throne. Come up here and I will show you what, will, what must happen after this. That's how chapter 4, after the seven churches, chapter, that's chapter 3, chapter 4, come up here and I'll show you what will happen after this. You know what I said last week when we closed, that could happen today. He could look at the church today and say, come up here and I'll show you what will happen after this. And you, if you are a believer, would be able to watch the tribulation from there rather than here. Come up here and I'll show you what will happen after this. Revelation 1 through 3 covers Jesus is appearing to John on the island of Patmos and Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. Chapter 4 begins with the come up here statement, perhaps representing the departure, the rapture of the church from the earth. The rest of chapter 4 reveals the incredible worship that takes place in heaven in the, scene, in the context of come up here and I'll show you what happens after this. And then there's the rest of the chapter is this incredible worship, 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 worship. But you can't miss the context. I think you would understand the idea, why are they worshiping the way they are, if they are the church that has come up here and escaped the tribulation. Chapter 4 is like a bridge between the church and the beginning of the tribulation. A gap which is filled with what? Worship. The Bible reveals the church and the beginning, the cutting of the first seal, the breaking of the first seal on the scroll. And between those two is an incredible scene of worship. So I'm going to say it again. What if that incredible scene of worship is a picture of the bride of Christ that has knowingly escaped the coming horrors of the tribulation and now is with Christ as the first seal of the tribulation is broken? The throne is the next scene. Now here's where you've got to get the pieces of the puzzle. The throne is the next scene, and the throne is not Jesus the Son. The throne is God the Father. The Lamb, Jesus the Son, will be introduced at the beginning of chapter 5. But when I begin reading, 
tonight, this chapter 4, and when you hear the throne and the worship around the throne, in this scene, it's not Jesus. Not yet. He'll be introduced shortly. But this is the Father. Okay? Here we go. And then I looked, and I saw a door opened in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne. Here's the throne. I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on the throne. It's the, it's the Father. It's God the Father. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third was like, had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered with, all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne. Now, who's on the throne? The living beings. Whenever they give thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the Father, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. The one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Remember, Revelation chapter 5 opens everything. As it opens, everything begins to change. The Lamb of God, we're in chapter 4. But in chapter 5, the Lamb of God will be introduced, and He will open the scroll that is sealed with seven seals. The scroll, here's where the pieces of the puzzle. Who's on the throne? God the Father. In the, the hand of God the Father is a scroll. The scroll represents the title deed of planet Earth and the plan of God to redeem the Earth from sin and death. In this point, do you, let, me, let me back up. The title deed of planet Earth presently belongs to Satan. He took it from Adam in the garden. The deception turned over. When God created Adam, he gave Adam dominion and authority over the earth. He gave it to, the, to men, those who came from Adam. But Adam surrendered it. When he sinned against God to Satan, the devil, the serpent. So, do you think in that moment that Satan 
Do you think in that moment that Satan um, overpowered God and surprised him and did something God couldn't have stopped? Then God is not God Almighty. God allowed that to take place. He allowed it to take place. Why? It would be a mystery of mysteries. But he allowed it to take place. So here we are in this scene. Now, God, who has authority, the God who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, who allowed Satan to, to take the deed of the earth from Adam, now God on the throne holds the deed. All right, this is big. This is big. If you don't get this, you're going to miss it. God is the Father on the throne. He holds the deed. It's sealed with seven seals. Control and dominion of the earth is in his hand. Okay? Who is worthy to take hold of the deed of the earth? Satan has it. But in this scene, God holds it. Something is about to happen. The seven seals that bind the scroll will be opened by the only one that is worthy to open the scroll and redeem the earth and its inhabitants. Is there anybody qualified spiritually in the eyes of God the Father to take back that which Adam gave away to Satan? You would call him what? The second Adam or the last Adam. So here we go. Verse 5, this is the key that unlocks it. And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll. Now, now what is it, why does it say there's writing on the inside? This is a lot of detail on what God's did, doing, and going to do. This scroll is the title deed of the earth. There's writing on the inside and the outside, and it's sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel, John is saying, I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice. Now, now what's the scene? There's this giant worship service going on in heaven, and there's these living beings and the 24 elders, and they're all bowing down, but they're for the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay, and then, so what's happening? That powerful angel says, okay, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? So here's God the Father holding the deed to planet earth, control of earth and all of humanity. He holds it. Who's worthy to open the seals? But no one in heaven, notice, in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. So here's the question. Was there anyone in the Old Testament who is worthy? What about Noah? He's a good man, escaped the flood. What about Abraham? What about Moses? What about Job? There's none righteous as Job. What about Elijah? I mean, he was raptured up into heaven, right? He took a chariot ride out of here. What about Elijah? No, nobody. Nobody. Who's worthy? Nobody. Why? What would it take to be worthy? What would it take to overdo that which the first Adam did? Perfection. Well, that's not Noah, Abraham, Moses, 
Job or Elijah. So, was there anyone in the church age? What about Peter, Andrew, James, and John, or maybe the Apostle Paul that was worthy? No, no, nobody. And there's another, there's a mystery. What, what okay, that's, that's Old Testament, New Testament. And then he says, under the earth, in heaven. Isn't there anybody who can, who can take back from Satan, the adversary of God, that which he, he deceived and took away from the first Adam? Isn't there anyone? This next verse almost always makes me weep. Verse 4. And I, John, see, he gets it. John understands. I, John, began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Why is he crying? This is the key that unlocks the rest of it. Why is he crying? Because Satan's dominion will last forever. Everybody's lost. All of earth is lost. And what's lost? They're all under the curse. And what's the curse? Sin equals death. You all sinned. You all die. It's over. You'd cry too. You see what's happening? He begins to weep because no one is worthy to open the scroll. No one's able to, no one can take out of Satan's hand. No one is righteous enough to take out of Satan's hand the scroll, the dominion and authority of the earth that God now holds in his hand. Verse 5. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, John. Who? Look, now he hasn't been in this scene up to now. He's not the one holding the scroll in his hand. Not yet. Not yet. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won. That's past tense. Has won the victory. He is worthy. To open the scroll and the seven seals. This is why we worship. You understand why we come into church on Sunday morning to sing songs? This is it. This is why we worship. This is why there's worship in heaven around the throne of God as this scene unfolds. There is one and only one who is worthy to take back the title deed from Satan and redeem the earth. We can stop weeping now, church. Church, do you understand that if you really, 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 really believed that he has taken back dominion, that he has won the victory, that sin and death and grave and hell and condemnation has already been defeated by the blood of the Lamb, then why, what are you worried about? The victory is ours. The curse has been undone. Notice how the heavenly elder describes Jesus in that scene. The lion of the tribe of Judah and the heir of David's throne. So stop and notice this prophetic Old Testament psalm. Now we're in the end of the New Testament, the new, um, the new covenant we call it. Revelation, but go way back into the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, and there's a prophetic psalm announcing this event that I just read. Psalm 89, 1. 
You think God knew something before the foundations of the earth? Do you think he already knew this scene would unfold one day? I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. That's worship. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, here comes the prophetic announcement from the psalm. I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. God swore an oath to David. I will establish your descendants as kings forever, forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. And then there's an interlude in the worship. All heaven will praise your great wonders. Lord, myriads of angels will praise you in, for your faithfulness. Myriads of angels are in the scene of heaven as I just read it in chapter 5. Fulfilling this Psalm 89. Now, back to the Lion King. But now... The lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, in the next verse looks like a lamb, a bloody lamb. Not a king and a crown, but he looks like a bloody lamb. Verse 6, and then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Where's he standing, this lamb? Between the throne. Now he's standing between the throne and the four living. So he's, he's in front of the 24 elders and the living beings. God the Father's on the throne. And now the lamb is approaching the throne. He's approaching the throne of his father. Jesus, the lamb of God, is approaching the, lamb of the, the throne of God. He had seven horns and seven eyes which represent the sevenfold spirit of God. So I could go off on a tangent on this one. The seven, he, he, through him, the Holy Spirit works. So when it says that Jesus, the Lamb of God, had seven horns, seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. So how does the Holy Spirit work on the earth? That just told you how it is. It, it works through him, through the Lamb of God. The Spirit of God works on the earth even right now today. And he steps forward. Now, he's not even in this scene in the beginning because they're saying, who is worthy? None was found in heaven and on earth or under the earth. And now suddenly there's a lion from the tribe of Judah, an heir to David's throne, a bloody lamb. He steps forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. That's it. That's the key. If you don't get this, you will never understand any of what comes after this. Who, is worth, who can pull this off? Who can do this? Who can take back from Satan that which was given to Satan by Adam? Who can do it? This lamb, this lamb, this bloody lamb walks up to the throne of the Father and the Father hands him. He doesn't have to take it away from the Father. The Father hands him the power and the dominion and the honor and the power of all of earth and all of its creation. He gives it to him. So who does it belong to? The lamb.
And when he took the scroll, everything's about to change. Who, who have the elders been worshiping and who have the living beings been worshiping before this moment that the scroll is handed? Who have they been? They've been worshiping the throne, the Father on the throne. And when he, the Lamb, Jesus, took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before him. Do you see it? Some, suddenly something has changed in heaven. They're falling down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held goals, gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You think praying doesn't matter? Now the heavenly worship that was centered around God the Father has turned. It is turned toward the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus, has taken the scroll, the title deed of the earth, from God the Father. And I want to use, start using a word a little different in this point. He has taken control of the kingdom. What do you think a king's going to do except have a kingdom? The king, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, will take the scroll and he's taking control of a kingdom. Now, all the eyes are upon the lamb in this scene. He is the last Adam. And he now holds the scroll, the title deed of all of earth and all of its inhabitants. The king now has taken possession of the kingdom. Now, now here's, here's a point that I want to make. Do you remember when Jesus is standing in front of Pilate before he goes to the cross? And they're having a conversation. And Pilate thinks he holds Jesus' future in his hands. But he has no idea who he's really talking to. And he looks at Jesus, and I'll paraphrase. He looks at Jesus and says, because he's, he, Jesus seems reluctant to talk to him. To answer his questions, his interrogation. So Pilate looks at him and says, don't you realize that I have the power over you in life and death? I can set you free or I can crucify you? Don't you know who I am? And Jesus looks at him and says, you have no power over me except that which is given to you by my Father. And then he says something. Listen, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, they would fight for me. But one day, my kingdom will be of this world. And on that day, there will be those who fight for me. So he looks at Pilate in the moment of the cross and he says, my kingdom's not of this world. So if you're thinking, I'm going to defend myself before you, or my, are you a king? Pilate had asked him, are you a king? My kingdom's not of this world. It's not of this world. So if in that moment the kingdom is not his, then whose is it? It's Satan's. Who has the title deed? Satan. Do you understand? Do you understand why this transaction in, in Revelation chapter 5 is so big? Because there was none before the cross, before that moment when he died on that cross. There was no one on, in heaven and on earth or under the earth worthy to take back that which had been lost. Which means all of mankind is now lost. That's why John's weeping. 
I want you to compare this scene with Jesus' Great Commission event before. Now, I'm going to give you two pictures. Okay, before three pictures, actually. Before he goes to the cross, he looks at Pilate and says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, so he goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, and he's resurrected. And in Matthew 28, 18, before, listen, before he ascends to the Father in heaven, verse 18, before he ascends to heaven, but his death, burial, and resurrection has taken place. Jesus came and told his disciples, It happened. What? It happened. What happened? I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It, it happened, guys. Guys, it happened. What? My father has given me all of it. Now, he's still on the earth. But he's about to leave. And he tells them. It happened. Now, it hadn't happened before, but it has now. What's the difference between the before and the now? He became the bloody lamb. After he became the bloody lamb, he stood up in front of his followers and said, I have been given all authority, which means I'm holding in my hand everything. Heaven, that's why the elders are worshiping him in Revelation 5. And the, the, the beast, the around the throne, they're worshiping him, all authority. So here's his instruction. Church, we ought to pay attention. Because it's all his now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always. What's that mean? I am the Holy Spirit. And I will be the church's power and purpose. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What do you mean end of the age? There's a countdown. Now, a couple weeks ago, I did something. And I saw that look in your eyes that I'm trying to get over trying to get you over that look. And I'll just start it with this. What if, what if? I, and I study a lot of the Jewish rabbis' teachings, and I read a lot of this stuff, and I've been to Israel, and I've actually had conversations. So what if, what if, what if, what if? What if that, that whole idea of a day until the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, is really a, 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 a kind of a prophetic announcement of God's giant plan of after six days, there's going to be a Sabbath. What if? I'm just saying what if. Because I can tell you that's what the Jewish Orthodox people, that after the sixth day there will be a Sabbath. So what if from Adam to Abraham is, is 2,000 years? There's no Jewish people in there. Adam to Abraham is 2,000 years. Inside of there is Moses. Inside of there is animal sacrifices. Why did they, how did they know to do animal sacrifices? It's one of those mysteries. 
Doesn't clearly say, but in, the, in what's happening to Cain and Abel? One of them brings an acceptable sacrifice, the other one brings an unacceptable. Which was acceptable? The blood offering. So they're doing animal sacrifices. The blood is paying for sin in the first generation after Adam, right? He looks at Cain, says, if you do what is right, your, your offering's unacceptable. Do what is right, you'll be accepted. And he doesn't. So there's your first 2,000 years. There's no Jewish people, but there is blood offering covering sin somehow. And then Abraham to Jesus is 2,000 years. So what we got? We got four days. But during that 2,000 years, how is God going to reveal himself to the world? Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants, he's going to reveal himself to the world. And this time there are also blood offerings. Day of Atonement, which by the way is coming up real too in the Jewish calendar, real soon. It's about to happen. Where the, the, the priest would walk into the temple and he would make a blood offering to cover the sins of the people for one year. So, first 2,000 years, no Jewish people, but there's blood sacrifices. Second 2,000 years, there's blood sacrifices through the Jewish people through which he's revealing the law himself to the world. And then comes the, the next 2,000 years. You're in it, but you're on the backside of it. And it's the church. And this time, there's also a blood sacrifice, a lamb. And in all three of those twos, 2000, 2000, 2000, there was a way for blood to cover or atone for sin. But in our generation, something changed. When Jesus came, the King of the Jews, the Lamb of God, His blood was shed to make the last sacrifice, the last one. And I believe we're at the end of that countdown. And what you're going to find out tonight, that at the end of that 2000, 2000, 2000, there will be perhaps, and I'll talk about it in a minute, this real short little moment, and then seven years. It'll be called the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. It'll be called the time of Jacob's trouble, in which one last time, one last time, he will offer salvation to the Jewish people. One last time for seven years. Stay with me. Why do I do all of that? Verse 20 again, Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you and be sure that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, even when Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, even in the moment when he says, it happened, it happened. All power, dominion, and authority has been given to me by my Father. It's, it's now mine, the Lamb of God. It's mine, it's me. I'm going to be leaving and I'll be with you to carry out the mission of the church, which is to tell the whole world about me being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I'll be with you until the end of the age. But the end of the age will come. And that door will close at the end of the age. Church, understand that door is going to close. We're 2,000 years. We don't know the exact numbers of any of that. I'm not date setting. I'm just saying, what if? That previous statement of Jesus was made after the resurrection of the dead. After the resurrection of the dead, after he became the bloody lamb, he told his friends, it happened. All power, dominion, and authority is now mine. Satan, run. 
And then he leaves. And Satan retains dominion of the earth as Jesus goes to the Father. Why? Because there was a last 2,000 to take place. The time of the Gentiles when God would give us one window. A 2,000 year, I don't know. I don't know when it'll end. Right now it's been a 2,000 year window in which instead of the Jewish people being the primary focus, he kind of pushed pause on them. He says, I will go to all the world, go to all the Gentiles of the world and tell them about the Lamb. Jesus received this authority from God the Father by completing the mission on the earth. And what was the mission? The cross. In that cross, in that moment, I want you to picture when Jesus died on the cross, he crushed the serpent's head. What's the first prophecy in the Bible? First prophecy. And the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. In that moment, he tells that, you know who he told that prophecy to? It wasn't to Adam and it wasn't to Eve. It was to the serpent. The first prophecy in the Bible, he tells to the devil, that woman's seed's going to crush you. And on the cross, he crushed him. What? So picture in that moment on the cross when he became the bloody lamb of God. Picture in your mind in heaven a future event when in that moment the title deed of planet earth was handed from the father to the lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, the bloody lamb. But there's a problem. He hasn't exercised his dominion yet. Why? What does Peter say? Peter said, God is not slow. In the same context of that, a thousand years is like a, th a day is like a thousand years. To... Okay, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> In the same context of a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He says, God is not slow in keeping his promises. Well, so in other words, why isn't he back yet? If he has the title deed of planet earth and all dominion and power and authority was given to him, even before he ascended to the father, then why has he exercised the option? Because there's one last window of time, the time of the Gentiles and you're in it. One last window, one last opportunity. First Corinthians 15, 21. Can you see? Just as death came into the world through a man, that'd be Adam. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun, has begun, has begun. That final resurrection, I really drove it home last week. That final resurrection won't happen until the resurrection of the last day in which all church age saints will be resurrected on the same day, Right? The dead in Christ shall rise. That would go all the way back to the church beginning. It has been, the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. The second Adam, the last Adam, his name's Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, there's the curse. We're all born under Adam's seed. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Now listen, I inserted the rapture. When he comes back in the rapture, all who are in Christ will be raised in one day. Do you understand? All of that takes place in a single day. The dead in Christ will rise. After that, the end will come. 
when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father. So I want you to get this. So what has happened in the scene in heaven? The scroll has been handed to the Son. Okay? So there's this, there's this window of time. The church age will take place. At the end of the church age, the resurrection will take place. The church will go into heaven. There will be seven years on the earth of hell on the earth. And after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father. So I want you to picture in that same scene in heaven, now Jesus standing before the throne and he takes the deed of earth and hands it back to the Father. Stay with me. I'm going to go back and start 24. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler. So that's, that's Satan. Every ruler, every authority, and every power has been vanquished. Right? When, when he's done, he's going to take the deed of earth and hand it back to his father and say, it's finished. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. The tribulation. Are you listening? And the last enemy that will be destroyed is called death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under Jesus' authority. Of course, here we go. You got to get this. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God the Father is not under the authority of the Son, right? That does not include God the Father, God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority. He's going to go back to the Father, hand the title deed back to the Father. And let me tell you what's going to happen in that point. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth will pass away and there will be no longer any sea. For the first heaven and the first earth are gone and there's a new one. When all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. Jesus has taken the scroll from God the Father, but the last enemy, right now, today, September 2022, the last enemy has not yet been defeated, but he will be. The tribulation, in this scene, the tribulation is about to begin. The countdown to the end, when the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into hell and Satan will be thrown into the abyss prison for 1,000 years and something's going to happen during that 1,000 years, there will be a 1,000 year kingdom of Jesus Christ on this present earth. And those who are with him will be Christians that have died and experienced the resurrection, they will return and reign with him on this earth for a thousand years. And this time, two things will be different. Jesus himself, the king, the, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, will be in Jerusalem, literally, as reigning as a king with an iron scepter. Absolute authority, that's what that means. 
and Satan will be in prison. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they're toast. They're gone. So two things will change planet Earth. Jesus will be here in Jerusalem. And Satan will be in prison for a thousand years while he reigns. When Jesus takes the scroll from the Father, there's a new song in heaven. Revelation 5 verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they, heavenly hosts, they sang a new song with these words. You, and they're talking to Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That includes Anderson County, by the way. And you have caused them to become a kingdom. Well, why does he say we're a kingdom? Because now we have a king. You have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Is that plain? That's plain. They, the resurrected saints of Jesus Christ in eternal flesh, Jesus returning to the earth will reign for 1,000 years on this earth. Can anyone see the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth after, after the seven-year tribulation inside of that song? I'll tell you what I hear is the first, one of those early verses of chapter four, four. Come up here, John, and I will show you what happens after this. This song is a celebration song, a prophetic song, and the song is not finished yet. Today, I declare there's a kingdom coming for those who escape by the blood of the Lamb. There's a kingdom coming. I know right now it's hard to see. Right now, it looks like sometimes we're losing. Revelation 5:11. And I looked again. This is John. I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and the elders. And they sang a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Every creature. All of creation is singing a song, a new song. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one. Sitting on the throne to God the Father. And to the Lamb, His Son. Forever. And never. Say the word. Forever and never. That feels good. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. The worship has turned to the Lamb. Chapter 5 reflects the transfer of attention to the Lamb. This does not take anything away from the Father. Please never read that in there. In fact, this was the Father's perfect will. The Father's perfect will was that the Son be glorified. That's His plan from the beginning. In fact, let me read it to you, John 17, 4. Here's Jesus' prayer to the Father shortly before He goes to the cross. He says, I brought glory to you. He's talking to God the Father. I brought glory to you here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What was the work? To be the bloody lamb slaughtered. 
Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus will now bring glory to the Father. Now, here we go. Let's move on. He will now bring glory to the Father by opening the seals. Something's about to happen in this scene. And there's a finality that kind of sends chills over my bones. Everything is in the hands of the Lamb of God, the Lion from the tribe of Judah. He is king in this scene. And that's when chapter 6 opens. King Jesus and all in heaven, including the church. Are you with me? Jesus, all of heaven, including the church, bowed down to him. King Jesus holding the scroll, the scroll that is bound with seven seals. The church is with him in the scene. And war is about to begin on the earth. Remember, the church has been removed from the earth at this point. Now is the time for the wrath of God to be poured out on the earth. In our first session, it was called the time of Jacob's trouble, the last chance in which he will then try to, he will turn to redeem Israel. And before we begin this section, I want you to consider the contrast between these two scenes. And this is what moves me. I'm about to describe to you in this moment two, the furthest contrast of all contrasts that can be contrasted. You have the glorious church in, the, in heaven singing this new song in eternal bodies in the presence of forever and forever, forever, God and the Son. And everyone who didn't make that moment is about to enter into seven years of darkness that there is no one, including me, in this room that can comprehend it. And they could have escaped. But they didn't. It's about to begin with Jesus breaking the first of the seven seals that bind the scroll. Many refer to this next part as the four horses of the apocalypse. It is the first four seals of the seven seals that surround the scroll that the Father handed to Jesus. Okay? The first seal. The rider on the white horse. Verse 1, chapter 6. And as I watched the Lamb, who's in charge now? The Lamb. As I watched the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings saying with a loud voice, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown. A bow, like this kind of archery bow, and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Do not be deceived, church. The rider on this white horse, the first seal, he is not Jesus. Jesus is the one cutting the seal. The rider on this first horse, the white horse, 
He is the false Jesus. He is the Antichrist. He is what John in the Revelation refers to as the beast that comes out of the sea. He is the man of lawlessness. The Apostle Paul told us that this Antichrist, this false Christ on a white horse, would not be revealed until after the restrainer of evil is taken out of the way, which puts the church in heaven at this point of the first seal. Is anybody with me? If the Apostle Paul knows what he's talking about, and I'm sure he does, the church, the restrainer of evil, is in heaven when the first seal is cut. This is why we believe the tribulation will occur after the rapture of the church. I want to go back and read it to you. 2 Thessalonians 2.6. And you know what's holding him back. Who are we talking about? The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. What's holding him back? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. I believe that's a direct reference to the church. Then, after the one, after the church steps out of the way, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. In Revelation chapter 6, when is he revealed? When Jesus cuts the first seal, breaks the first seal. The bride is in heaven with him in that moment. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. When the church is taken from the earth, the world will look for someone to save them from the chaos and darkness that will suddenly come to the earth. They will look for a white horse savior. But he will be a deceiver inside of human flesh. He will be the Antichrist. He will be a beast. He will be a man possessed by Satan. A man controlled by the dragon in Revelation, who is Satan himself. He wears a crown. Did you notice it? He has a bow and he wears a crown. That represents a king and a kingdom. And it will be, he will be a king and he will have a kingdom for a short period of time. Seven years. The white horse imposter will come to offer peace. But will actually bring seven years of destruction. Notice that he has a bow. But he has no arrows mentioned. Interesting. Signifying peace through negotiation, not war. He will come with cunning and intrigue. He will not come to power by force. He will come to power in the vacuum of the church as the deceiver on a white horse with a crown. The book of Daniel reveals this man, this king, this ruler, and says he will initiate a seven-year peace agreement that he will himself break three and a half years later. Now, he has a crown on the first seal, right? So he becomes world power. By the way, it will require a one-world government for him to pull this off. Everything is right now put in place for that to take place. Daniel 9, 26. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler 
will arise, whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with the flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler, now verse 27. That was, a, that was the beginning of this prophecy. That was fulfilled when Titus came in 70 AD. But now here comes the second part, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, seven years. But after half of this time, three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offerings. And as a climax to his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. He is the first seal's revelation. The first seal on the scroll reveals the man on the white horse, the Antichrist, will be loosed upon the earth. I believe verse 27, go back up and read verse 27, marks the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. A lot of people wonder, when does the seven-year begin to count? Does it begin at the rapture? No, I don't think so. I believe the seven-year countdown begins with the signing of this peace agreement because that's the beginning of the 70th week. So there might possibly, nobody knows, there might possibly be a gap between the rapture of the church and the Antichrist's rise to power that causes the peace agreement to be signed. There might be a gap of time. I believe it to be very short if there is a gap at all. Okay, second seal. The rider on the red horse. Verse 3. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard a second living being say, Come. And then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. See, it started out with deception, didn't it? And now the second horse is released. And he is authority, he was given authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Jesus opens this seal and a red horse carrying an assassin's sword appears. The temporary peace of the Antichrist will soon turn into a bloody war that will cover the entire earth. Remember, the church, the restrainer of evil, has been removed and now unrestrained evil will abound around the world. So I want to stop for a moment and ask a question. What do you think unrestrained evil looks like? Just picture New York City without electricity. Flash mobs, unrestrained evil. No authority that keeps any kind of boundaries. Nations will fight against nations, people against people. War and slaughter will be everywhere. Jesus told us in advance that this would only be the beginning of the tribulation. So if, that, if right now the second seal has frightened you, you have no idea what's coming. It's the beginning. More and much worse will follow. So let's go back to what Jesus said about it in advance. Matthew 24, 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name. And that'll be an example of before the church is taken and after the church is taken. Many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. What do you think the Antichrist is going to say? He's going to tell them he's God. And they're going to fall for it. They will deceive many. 
And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the, the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes, many parts of the world. He's describing the tribulation. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains. More and more and more and more and more is going to come after that. Matthew 24, 21. Jesus is going to describe specifically the tribulation. There will be a greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. It will be exactly as God said it would be. Seven years. The second seal, red horse, is just the beginning. And I'll give you a hint. A Jewish revival will take place in the middle of all of that chaos. Why do you think the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble? Because it will also be the time of Jacob's salvation. When I say Jacob, I mean Israel. The third seal, the last one. No, no there's four tonight, excuse me. The third seal, the black horse. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, Come. And I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. Let me describe what this seal means. Hunger and famine like you have never known. It will take one full day's wage to buy enough food to stay alive during the tribulation. You'll work all day long just to have enough food to keep from starving to death. Luke 21.10, Jesus said, Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there's going to be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs. From He's describing the same event. One in Revelation, one in Luke 21. Now here comes the fourth seal. The pale green horse. Verse 7. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. And I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death. And his companion was named the Grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth. Is anybody listening? One-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword famine, disease, and wild animals. There are two, por two persons on the pale green horse coming toward the earth as Jesus opens the fourth seal. Death and the grave, or some translations call it Hades. One-fourth of the world's population will be killed by the, rider, the riders, there's two of them, on the pale green horse. And I want you to notice something. The tools of death described here. Sword, famine, disease, and wild animals. Where are you going to run? Sword, famine, disease. And if you escape to the woods, the animals will eat you. Think about it. God used these same tools. Listen. 
He used these same tools to bring his divine judgment against Jerusalem in the Old Testament. I want to read it to you, Ezekiel 14, 21. Now, this is what the sovereign Lord says, how terrible it will be when all four of these dreadful punishments fall upon Jerusalem, war, famine, wild animals, and disease, destroying all our people and all their animals. These are only the first four of the seven seals on the scroll in Jesus' hand. But what I'm telling you tonight is the absolute beginning of seven years. It's just the start. It's just the beginning of it. That's why Jesus says, unless these days were shortened, there'd be no human life on this planet. So let's stop here with the question tonight. Do you want to experience any of this horror? Do you know anyone, church, here's why I bring that up. Do you know anyone that you want to experience this horror? I don't. I don't have anybody, anybody. No bad, they might have mistreated me no no matter how much they dislike me. I don't know anybody that I want to go through this. So we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. This is why I do this series And here's my point. I said it, I think, last week. If you're sitting here tonight, or if you're watching me online, and you believe any part of this, this much, you would fall on your face in front of God, repent of your sins, and cry out for mercy through the blood of Christ. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. I'm going to close how we open. Jesus' words. Heaven and earth are going to disappear. My words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness, by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. As most of you, well, let me say, some of you know that when we finished last Wednesday night session, after the crowd thinned out, I baptized four people. And I didn't even offer an invitation. So I got a text message from somebody, actually it was my daughter-in-law today, saying, Are you paying attention? If last week four people were baptized and you didn't offer an invitation, should you consider offering one at the end of these services? To which I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So tonight, um, I'm going to stay up here. When I pray, I'm just going to hang out up here. And I'm going to say it one more time. I don't know where you are with God. I don't. Maybe you're as ready as ready gets for that trumpet sound. Maybe you have repented of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then rejoice in your great salvation. Don't leave here afraid. Leave here rejoicing. Go on and start singing your song. Practice it. But if you're not, if you're playing some stupid religious game, if you believe any part of this, any part of this, this much of this, You would fall on your face before God. And you would ask him to forgive your sins and cover you with the blood of his son. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. So I'm going to hang out up here. If something's going on in you, the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, you better tell him, yes, Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us advanced knowledge. We know what's coming. You won't catch us unaware like a trap. We won't be like a thief in the night event for us, for we're children of the day. We're children of the light. And you told us in advance so that we would know, not only so we would know, so we'd go tell others, so they would know, and they would escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So Holy Spirit, do your work. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. We can't hear without you. We can't see without you. We can't even understand without you. But I thank you for this powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen.